Discover how an elementary school music teacher from Ohio is revolutionizing education by creating sensory and emotionally inclusive classrooms. Through his personal experiences with ADHD and sensory processing disorder, Bryson Tarbett advocates for removing barriers and empowering students to embrace their unique selves. Join us on this episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles as Bryson shares his insights and strategies for incorporating music education to help students with ADHD and SPD develop self-regulation skills that extend beyond the classroom. Welcome back to Water Prairie. We appreciate you joining us today. Um, I have a guest with, with me today and his name is Bryson Tarbett. Bryson is an elementary school music teacher just outside of Columbus, Ohio, and his personal experiences have led him to become a very strong advocate for creating both sensory and emotionally inclusive classrooms. Bryson, welcome to Water Prairie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to see where we can take this conversation. So I left out a little bit of the details on your introduction. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? For sure. So like I said, like, like you said, my name is Bryson Tarbett. Um, I teach pre-K through sixth grade general music um, just outside of Columbus, Ohio, and I absolutely adore it. Um, and I've, I've learned a lot as an educator over the years, but I've also learned a lot about myself over the years, um, including getting diagnosed with ADHD as, as a young child um, and sensory processing disorder just a couple of years ago. Um, so it's been interesting to navigate the education world, the workplace world um, with those diagnoses. Um, but I love how I am and how I process the world, and I wouldn't change anything about it. Excellent, excellent. So this season, I've been challenging my guests to share three facts or pseudo-facts about themselves um, in our game called Two Truths and a Lie. Do you have your facts or pseudo-facts ready to share with us? I do. So my first fact is that I have been in multiple professional operas. The second is that I had a deer jump through my classroom window. And the third is that I wanted to be a paramedic when I was growing up. All right. So if you're listening and want to play the game with us, if you're on the YouTube channel, leave in the comments below, leave your guess of which ones you think are the truths and which one you think is the lie. If you're listening on the audio or want to go over to social media, go to either Instagram or Twitter. You'll find the post there and you can leave your guess And in a week, we will post the response of which ones were the correct ones and which one was the lie. So thank you for sharing that. It's always fun to to learn a little bit more about about our guests through through this game. Of course. So so getting into our questions, can you tell me, now we're talking specifically about, um, with your diagnosis about ADHD and SPD, can you tell me a little bit about what those two actually are for those that are listening that may not be familiar with them? Yeah, so they're both neurological disorders and they... A lot of it comes down to the way that we we process the world. For me, my ADHD manifests itself a lot in hyperfixation, um, typically starting something and then walking away and forgetting it. Like, for instance, if I can't see something, it doesn't exist sometimes. Um, and, and then my sensory process disorder... Um, it oftentimes comes down to sound sensitivities, which is a little funny as a music teacher. Um, but, um, and it kind of manifests, you know, when I start getting overstimulated, uh, you know, I can get really cranky. I can really start getting more inward. Um, and you know, it's, it's been, it's been a journey figuring out how those work together. Um, but it's, it's, it's my journey. (laughs) So what are some of the ways that you've incorporated those experiences into your teaching methods? The biggest one is I want to make students that are like me feel like they belong. I, you know, I, I got in trouble a lot as a kid. Um, I, I, I was kind of a mess, I'll be honest. Um, and I wanted to make sure that students that are in my classroom 
feel like they can be themselves and they don't have to put up this facade of neuro conformity, I guess. Um, you know, for instance, I, you know, like I said, I got in trouble a lot as a kid and I, I've talked to, you know, students that were having similar issues and I go like, Hey, you know, does it feel like sometimes you get in trouble for things that you, you don't feel like you have control over? And sometimes the reactions these kids get, it's like, I put a dagger through their heart. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh, yes. And I want my students to feel like, I want them to be set up for success. That's really what it comes down to because I want them to be set up for success by me so that they can be the best learner that they can be. So why is it important that, and we've, you've kind of touched on this already, but why is it important to create sensory friendly classrooms? Well, when it comes down to it, sensory needs are kind of those base foundational needs a lot of the time. You know, when we see students that are dysregulated with their sensory needs, you know, they're overstimulated, they're understimulated. That's when we start to see a lot of those those external behaviors acting out, which, you know, getting, being disruptive, which can not only be a, you know, a classroom management issue, a behavior issue, it could also be a safety issue depending on the student. So my I think it's so important for us as educators, regardless of what you te we teach, is to make sure that we are removing barriers whenever we can so that those students are set up in a way that their, their sensory needs are being met or there are opportunities for them to have their sensory needs be regulated in our classrooms so that they can be successful, so that they don't feel like they're getting in trouble for things that they can't control. The, as, as you're talking, my, my son has ADHD. So I, I'm at, from a mom's, mom's point of view, I'm picturing some of what you're saying, <laughs> especially when, when you're talking, talking about getting in trouble for, for, for not meaning to be, um, how many conversations we had had with the school through the years. <laughs> so I'm sure we have other, other parents listening who are able to, to picture this as, as we're talking as well. So specifically, since your background is in music and you're an educator, how can music education be used to help students with ADHD and SPD develop self-regulation skills? Oh, I, I mean, music was how I found myself. Even when, you know, my medication, we were still figuring all that out. You know, I wasn't diagnosed with SPD yet. Music was the way that I was able to take my hyperfixation hyper and put it on something that the rest of the world was able to see value in. Because yeah, I could hyperfixate on this video game for hours and hours, but the rest of the world isn't going to be like, yes, Bryson, look at you. Yeah. But when I started doing music, <laughs> I started getting validation that what I was fixating on, other people saw the value in, which was huge. Thinking about music, there's so much that goes into a formal music education that, you know, collaboration, team building, understanding that everyone has their own part to play, understanding that there aren't necessarily right or wrong answers. And it allows us to to create challenges that are, are different than what we see in the rest of, of the classroom, you know, rest of the school setting. And what I love about what how the way that I implement music in my elementary classroom is I get to get my kids moving. They don't have to sit in a chair. They can move. They can fidget. They can jump up and down because the reality is, is these kids sometimes they're having to sit down so long for the school. I would love for them to be able to move, experience music making, learn in a way that allows them to capitalize on them as children. And again, what I love about what I'm saying is nothing that I've said so far is specific for students with ADHD or SPD. There's just things that help all students 
And again, it's removing barriers and creating more opportunities for accessing their curriculum. Can the skills that you're teaching them in the music classroom, can now as, as you're talking, I'm picturing a lot of what you just described could be used in any classroom as far as bringing some of those movement, things like that into to a lesson that's happening. But can some of the skills that you're working on now, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but, but I want you to go into more detail on this. <laughs> can it help a student um, learn how to regulate themselves as they, as they grow older and, and go into other situations? Do you, do you feel like what you're teaching them in that class is helping to go beyond the classroom? Definitely. I think a lot of the, the kind of introspection, the reflection of what we do in music, you know, thinking about our musical preferences, thinking about what music could be used for, thinking about how music shows emotion can really help us regulate emotions you know, in, a, in specific ways. You know, I know for me, there are certain times when I'm in certain moods that if I'm in a really bad mood, sometimes I need to play really, really sad, angry music. But sometimes I need to play really happy music and things like that to get me out. And I, it, it's taken a lot of experimenting and learning how to articulate what I like about that music and things like that internally. And that's what I want my students to have. And I, I think that when, you know, regardless of what our students leave our classrooms with, I want them to understand that the tools and the things and, and the way that we did music can be applied in so many other different aspects of their lives. I know with my own kids, you know, one prefers to have music playing when they're studying, one doesn't. I had to be in the middle, middle of chaos when I was studying. My husband had to be in the middle of the library. You know, we're all different in, in kind of how we're wired. And, um, but I, I could see teaching the kids the, these skills, understanding beyond just understanding how to do a 4-4 time count, um, understanding the emotion that comes with it, the, their, their response to the music. I, I think um, I, 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 I could see it becoming very, a very strong skill that the kids could develop um, with that. So, so I, I appreciate you answering that. Um, what are some of the challenges related to teaching music specifically in this, this way, looking at more the sensory-friendly um, tasks and skills? I mean, well, the reality is, is the music classroom, there's a lot going on. Typically, it's a different location where they, than where students have been the rest of the day. So there's lots of other things to get distracted by. They might have instruments that are out on shelves or hanging on the walls. Um, you might have bright lights, but also there's a lot of sound, um, you know, things like that that are, are really common triggers for students getting sensory dysregulated. Um, and it, so it kind of comes down to we want to still have these things. We want, still want the students to be able to use the instruments and to play the recorder and to bang on the drums. So how do we take the step and make sure that we have strategies in place to allow the, all students to be successful um, when we're doing these strategies? What are some of the strategies that, that you're finding are working well for you in the classroom? One of the, the biggest ones that I've been able to implement is fidgets, like fidget toys that students are able, or fidget tools, I guess, that students are able to use if they need a little bit of tactile feedback, you know, just move around a little bit. Um, but also I have a lot of these over-the-ear headphones that students can wear just to um, kind of dampen the sound a little bit. Um, students are able to use these at any point in time, um, and any of my students are able to use this. I don't, this is not something that, you know, only students with sensory needs can use. I just allow anyone to use them um, because I don't want to other the other student. I want students to realize that, hey, these tools are here. If you need them, 
they're there. If not, they're, you don't need to use them. Um, because again, music is loud. When we have 28 kids playing the recorder at the same time, there's a lot of sound going on. <laughs> Me personally, I have special ear, earplugs that I wear during um, a lot of the day when we're using <laughs> instruments because like, otherwise I would get overstimulated. So it's all comes down to just implementing things that when you see a need, do what you can to meet it. When, when you mention recorders, any one who's listening to this, if you've had a child go through, I don't know how it is in yours, but in our school is third grade um, learning recorder. Um, you probably can can hear in the back of your mind the the squeaks and all as as they're learning to 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 make the sound and, and to play the different notes. I can only imagine 20, 20 or so kids in the classroom all trying to do that at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, what's what's funny is I love teaching the recorder. It's actually my favorite thing to teach. So here we have a music teacher with sensory processing disorder and sensitivities <laughs> to sound, loving teaching these loud instruments. Right. <laughs> so you were talking about the fidget um, tools, not fidget toys. Um, do you so because you're not isolating? You know, these are just for this child only, as far as singling them out. Do you ever have any trouble with anyone abusing that privilege? I always tell, so I, I do some coaching with other teachers and this comes up a lot and I don't gatekeep my fidgets. I let anyone that wants use them unless they give me a reason not to. Um, if, you know, if they can't handle it, they can't handle it. But what I like about it is when I introduce it, it's, it's everyone wants one. But eventually the novelty right. kind of wears off and then it's the students that are really getting the need, really getting the benefit of it that keep using it. And what I love about that is we didn't bring any attention to, oh, this student is different so they get to have a fidget. It's, oh, right. anyone that wants one can have a fidget as long as you're using them following these guidelines. It was the first thing I thought of that um, I could see one sailing across the room <laughs> if, it was, I, if it was becoming a toy. <laughs> I always tell the teachers I coach, expect a little bit of chaos at the beginning, um, yeah. <laughs> set, set your clear expectations, and also be very uh, cognizant of the type of fidgets you put out. How can educators and schools better advocate for students that have sensory needs, and how can they provide some of those accommodations? You've given us a few ideas already. I, it, it comes down to, one, getting to know the kids and start in noticing patterns on when students tend to get more triggered or overstimulated. And, but it also comes down to a lot of creating a culture of inclusivity. So I, I'm very lucky at the school that I teach at that the way that I treat fidgets and headphones and things like that is mirrored by pretty much every other teacher. So it's not this nice. novel thing that there's fidgets in music. It's just we understand that everyone has different needs and it might be different depending on the day. And these are some strategies you can use to to help meet those needs. So teachers and administrators and stakeholders build a community where where getting those needs met isn't something you have to fight for. It's just included and it's understand. And because here's the thing, we often feel like we, we don't want to do that because we don't want someone thinking, you know, we don't want Sally thinking that Johnny gets to do whatever he wants or gets to play right. with a toy and she doesn't. But the reality is kids understand that we are different. We're the ones that sometimes put those blocks up. The kids, they all totally understand that we all have different needs. So what can we do to create that community that kids understand that and we as teachers allow that? When you were describing the classroom and, um, you know, with with the recorders and everything else, um, I was thinking in the elementary school, the last one where I was teaching, we had teacher aides. Actually, we were able to to fix the funding so that every class had an, an aide in the class at least part of the day. 
do you have anyone else in there or is the class being dropped with you and you're by yourself with the with the full class? Typically, I am alone with the class. Um, there are some students that do have a one-on-one aide. Um, so when they're in that class, okay. they would be able to join us. But typically, it's just me and the kids. Yeah. So 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 you're so you're showing the example of being able to juggle the fidgets, the headphones, the noise, the movement um, can be done <laughs> without without having to have five different teachers in there with you exactly. to help help do it. <laughs> exactly. It, take, I, um, it takes it takes letting go of some control and accepting a little bit of yeah. chaos, but understanding that it's an investment so that everyone can be successful. So um, the parents that are listening to us. Some of them are going to be thinking, you know, well, hey, I, I want I want that type of environment for my child, but we don't have that in their school. How can they help support their children's teachers um, and encourage them to start providing more sensory friendly environments? I think a lot of it can come down to just having a conversation. And I'm not here saying that all teachers are perfect and infallible. But I oh come on. I think, <laughs> but I think the reality is is that most teachers want to do the right thing. It's as often yeah. or sometimes we don't have the information or the tools to do that. So if you notice your student has specific needs, for instance, if you notice that at home, you know your student gets you know is, is plugging their ears, or you know if you go to if you're in public and you you notice that when it's louder they start getting you know more overstimulated or things like that, have a conversation. Say, hey, is there any way that um, they can have over-the-ear headphones that we can bring to them with class in case it gets too loud. Or how can we advocate to have to, for them to say, hey, you know, are they able to take a break? Have that conversation. Or you honestly just say, hey, are you noticing any of these things that I'm noticing at home? Because sometimes it, sometimes that student might have been the least of their concerns, and you're going, oh, I, I am noticing that. I'm really glad that you brought that up. And starting with a conversation, advocating for what your student needs, um, it's important and it needs to be done. I like that that way of looking at it, and I think it's important for us to know that teachers are not bad. They're um, they 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 really they they went into the profession for a reason, yeah. um, and that's to to help mold and shape that next generation. But um, but it can get overwhelming in the classroom whenever you have twenty, even up to thirty, depending on on your class yeah. size, and and that that one child who may be sitting on the side that would have benefited from it if they're not causing a, a disruption, they can get overlooked easily. Because yeah. the one beside them is jumping up and down, <laughs> so and that's um, a so, real yeah, so shame. I, yeah, because like like you said, I, most teachers you know, we came into this because we want to do some great things, but unfortunately, yeah. a lot of times we're part of a broken system. Uh, so yeah. you know, sometimes it comes down to parents advocating beyond us when our hands are tied, so that our students can get what they need. When I I also like and and appreciate your advice of coming in and having a conversation. Um, it's not waiting and calling a full team meeting for an IP meeting and then, you know, bringing out all of all of the documentation, everything. Sometimes it's just a straight conversation and um, and things can be done without it becoming an official document with something. Um, other other times it does need to be in there, depending on, on the, the needs of your child. But, um, but just for a, a little tweak that might make life easier for everyone and help your child learn better, that might be just a, a parent-teacher conference or just a, a phone call. For sure. For teachers, and I, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a minute, but, um, but teachers that are listening, do you have any advice you want to give them about um, if they have students that are struggling 
in their classroom um, or having some different challenges? Any advice you'd want to pass on to them? Give it a shot. Sometimes we as teachers, especially when it comes to students with disabilities, we we don't want to do the wrong thing. So we don't do anything. And that oftentimes comes at the expense of the student. You know, I'm, I'll be the first one to say that I have tried wonderful things that I had wonderful, great intentions for and completely triggered a student. But we learned from that. We moved on. We tried implemented new strategies and we finally, finally found strategies that did help that student. So when you, when there are students, whether or not they have a disability or an IEP or anything, any of that, when you notice that you can do better or that a student could be more successful or that there's a barrier for them accessing the curriculum, try something and iterate from that as you move forward. All right. So you are more than just a regular music teacher and that's showing already, um, not, not just your background, but you've gone beyond the classroom. So I want you to share with us a little bit more about what you're doing outside of the classroom, some of the projects and business endeavors that you have going on. So in addition to my full-time teaching position, I also host a podcast called That Music Podcast, um, and I run a business called That Music Teacher, um, where I coach other elementary music teachers, basically giving them the tools that we all should have already that so many of us didn't get when we were in undergrad or you know, so many things that our district are getting us. Um, through professional development, because let's be honest, music teachers are not getting professional development that's relevant to their area. Um, so that, that led to me to be creating the Elementary Music Summit. Um, and it's just, what I love about what I do outside of school is that it has helped me so much as an educator. I have learned so much about teaching kindergartners by coaching other teachers and vice versa. And I think that Sometimes as teachers, we kind of get stuck in our box and say, oh, my license is pre-K through three. I can't, you know, I can't share what I know with other teachers. But that's when the magic happens. No, no teacher wants to go to a PD led by someone who was in the classroom 20 years ago. We want to know from someone and sh we want to share, to know from someone who's sharing because they get it and they're in the trenches now. So if you're in it, if you're a teacher and you're listening and you're in the classroom and you have these big ideas, share them. Even if it's just with your team or a, a colleague, share your area of expertise and then learn from other area from others that have areas that you have would like to grow in. So the podcast and that music teacher and the summit, those are all geared toward elementary music teachers. Is that correct? Correct. How can, because we do have some professionals who, who listen to this, how can they get in touch with you if they want to find out more about, about any of those? The best way to reach out to me is over on Instagram at that music teacher um, or sending me an email, hello at thatmusicteacher.com if you'd like to chat. Um, but again, all of the links and everything will be over on my Instagram. Okay. And we'll, we'll put those links in the, the show notes too, so they can, they can at least get, get, get over to, to Instagram to find you to, to get started. Perfect. This has been really, really interesting information. I appreciate you coming to, to join me today and to share this with us. Thank you so much for having me. Again, this is a conversation that it's important and I'm glad that it's happening and I'm glad that it's happening more frequently. Um, and I will be, I'm very thankful to be able to be part of this, this change.
Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles. Remember, by creating inclusive and sensory-rich classrooms, we can unlock the potential of every student and foster a love for learning. Join us next time as I talk with Dr. Avisha Ford and what she's doing about creating inclusive environments for neurodiverse students and some of the success she's found for her older students. Hey there, Water Prairie listeners. If you're enjoying this show and want to support us, please consider making a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash waterprairie. Your contribution helps us keep bringing you great content week after week. Thanks for listening and for your support. You've been listening to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast created to encourage and support parents of special needs children. If you found value in this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners. I'm glad you were able to join us today and hope to see you back next week for another episode of the Water Prairie Chronicles.